Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So notice that there. It says they, they left from Sukkot, which means tents or booths. They were set up right from the very beginning to realize, listen, you guys are going to be on a journey. You're going to be camping. You are not going to be stationed in any one place permanently. You're going to be on the move. You're going to be living in tents, dwelling as pilgrims, sojourners. They're getting ready to go on this pilgrimage. Their next stop, it says, was Etham, which means with them or their strength. In other words, God is revealing to them now, even though you're going to be on a pilgrimage, you're going to be moving from place to place, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be a strength to you. You're not going to be on your own. And that becomes very clear when we see at the end of chapter 13 that God is showing himself to them by a, a pillar cloud by day, protecting them from the hot sun in the desert. He's going to be a pillar of fire at night, which is going to bring warmth to them and light for them in the darkness. God is showing, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be a strength to you. I'm going to provide for you the very things that you need on this pilgrim journey that you are on. So now, in chapter 14, continuing on along this journey, look at what we read here in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I'm the Lord. And they did so. So God is bringing his people now to a very interesting situation here. They're going to find their next camping spot or lesson here at Pi-Hahiroth. Interesting. It's going to bring them to the Red Sea in front of them. They're going to have mountains on either side of them. And guess what's coming up behind them? Pharaoh's army. They are going to find themselves in a very boxed-in, trapped situation so it's going to seem to them a dead end perhaps you could say notice what pharaoh was saying in verse three what does pharaoh say oh man look at these chumps they are bewildered by the land they don't know where they're going the wilderness has closed them and do you see that there in verse three pharaoh is kind of like mocking them to himself he's going oh my goodness these guys do not know where they're going they're, they're sitting ducks for us now the wilderness has closed them in Pharaoh thinks they're trapped. Israel, I'm sure, felt trapped with no way out. It's interesting that Pi-Hahiroth means the mouth or where weeds grow. It's a place where the weeds would begin to grow. The mouth here, this kind of inlet coming in there. The mouth or where weeds grow. You see, it's a lesson for us here because it's in times like this where we can feel at times like, Man, the world seems to be caving in around me. The world seems to be feeling it's closing me in. Like, I feel like I'm getting boxed in, trapped. There's nowhere to go. I feel like I'm at a dead end. What is happening? And we can easily in those times begin to mouth off at God. We can begin to let weeds of bitterness set in and begin to get angry at God and wonder, God, where are you in all this? What are you doing? Why would you allow this to happen to me? We begin to question God perhaps mouth off and let weeds of anger and bitterness begin to grow. But the Lord, you see, has a great plan in all this, doesn't he? And the reality is shocking. The reality is this. God is wanting the Israelites to realize something. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about your comfort. 
It's about God's glory. What does God say? He says that he's doing a work to gain honor over Pharaoh. Justin, could we make it so this um, thing comes up at the side? says TV here for me. Thank you. And so God says that I'm going to do this in verse 4, that I'll gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians, it says at the end of verse 4, thank you, may know that I am the Lord. That's what God is up to here. God's saying, I'm going to lead you, Israel, into a situation that to you might look and feel very uncomfortable. But don't fret, don't worry, understand. As Ethan was a reminder to you, I'm going to be with you. I'll be your strength. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to see you through. But I'm going to bring you to situations that are going to be there simply for one reason. For me to be glorified in and through it. For me to get honor out of it in a way that is so beyond you. This is what God is doing here with Israel. You may feel at times in your life boxed in, trapped, and maybe ready to melt off. But remember, God is in control, and he will use you to do a work that is beyond you so that he gets all the praise and the glory for it. See, our lives aren't meant to be lived in comfort for ourselves. We've been saved so that our lives can be lived for the glory of God, to make him known. In whatever situation or circumstance you may find yourself in, look for what God wants to accomplish in it and through it for his praise. The very reason you may be in that seemingly difficult position might just be simply for God to act in a way that's beyond you and for his glory. Do you ever look at life that way? Do you ever look at the situations you're in to go, I don't understand why I'm in this situation, but I'm not going to curse God. I'm just going to praise God and see what he wants to do in this for his glory and praise. Now, it says in verse 5, it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. So apparently there were some, you know, deluxe models of chariots, the choice chariots. Those were the upgrades. And then just the rest of the chariots, you know, the, the bargain chariots, I guess. I don't know. Captains over every one of them. So, and verse 8, the Lord, notice this in verse 8, the Lord, again, hardens the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so that Pharaoh pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So Pharaoh assembles this formidable army, 600 choice church plus all the churches of Egypt, not sure how many that is, but this would have been like an army of tanks in the eyes of the Israelites, right? Rolling after them. Israel didn't have this luxury. They didn't have these means. And so now they feel like they've got this army of just tanks bearing down on them, and they're feeling pretty defenseless at this point. What did Israel have? Well, they had a bunch of walking sticks and unleavened bread. Not much of a weapon there for them. I don't know. You could try to let that thing harden and throw it like a disc at them. I don't know. Take a head off, maybe. I don't know. But unleavened bread's not going to get you very far. But it's a bit of a mismatch we see here. But what they do have is they have, the, they have God on their side. they got the Lord who's working on their behalf. Understand, Satan is a formidable foe. Sometimes we may wonder how we're ever going to stand against him. How are we ever going to withstand the enemy? But we have to realize we have the Lord on our side. We've got one who is far greater. First John 4 verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, we don't fight in ourselves or for ourselves. We fight through the Lord and for the Lord. And he's the one ultimately that's fighting on our behalf. When you recognize, as, as Paul says in Romans 8, 37, that you're more than conquerors, then we can go out with boldness as these children of Israel were doing, it says here. Going out with boldness, that, that idea is like going out with like a high hand. It's almost like they're out high-fiving each other. All right, we got this. Let's go, everybody. Going out with boldness. But then look at verse 9. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh 
drew near, notice this, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Oh my goodness. This is going to be a common trait with the Israelites here. One minute they're rejoicing. They're all, you know, going all boldness, high-fiving. Now they're like, what have you done, Moses? You set us up. You sent us out here just to die. It would have been better for us just to serve the Egyptians in Egypt. But notice what Israel did here. As Pharaoh begins to kind of bear down upon them and get in view, it says in verse 10 that the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. In doing so, their faith depleted in fear, their rejoicing turned quickly to regret. They lifted their eyes. The problem was that they didn't lift their eyes high enough. They lifted their eyes and focused on the Egyptian army rather than focusing their eyes upon the God of infinite armies, the Lord of hosts, who has already been working on their behalf in Egypt, and yet now with this kind of, you know, revisionist thinking, they're going, oh no, we had it far better in Egypt. It's a sad thing that not only did Pharaoh and the Egyptians quickly forget the God of miracles, but the Israelites quickly forgot the miracles of their God. And God never runs out of miracles or power, does he? The Egyptians are thinking, we've got them now, and yet, how did it go for you in Egypt? Fighting against the Israelites and more so fighting against their God. Didn't go well for you. You were willing to let them go. Now they're bearing down after them. Why, why have we let them go? Why have we let these servants go? And in the same breath, the Israelites should have been saying, wait, God's already shown himself strong on our behalf. He's brought us out of Egypt. This situation we're in now is really no problem for God. But they're failing to see that they're failing to lift their eyes high enough. Too often when we begin to set our focus upon the problems in front of us, we fail to see the greatness of God. And we need to lift our eyes and our focus above our present realities onto God's great possibilities, and the power that he holds. See, they weren't even a week out of Egypt, and already they're distorting the past now. It says in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Moses here now, he comes along, and as a great leader, he responds in great faith. And in a way that we need to learn. What does he say? Three things. Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, those might seem pretty simple, but yet they're often very difficult things to do. Especially as the Israelites are doing, as we can often do, we begin to just get so focused on our immediate circumstances or our present situation. And we begin to get very worried about, how am I going to get through this? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle that? How am I going to provide for this or take care of that? What am I going to do about this? And yet, Moses simply says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of this, what's in front of you. Paul would write in 2 Timothy 4, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And we need to think rightly about these things. Oftentimes, we begin to think wrongly when we get so pre-focused on our situations and we fail to just dwell upon God's goodness and grace and the strength that he has for us. Moses says, stand still. See, what we often do as well is we find ourselves in a predicament as Israel is. They got the, Dead sea, or the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on the other side of them, Pharaoh's army behind them, they're trapped. And what do we often do when we're, we, we're in that situation? We're like, I got to figure my way out of this, man. I got to make something happen. I got to do something to alleviate this pressure. And we do anything but stand still. Moses, stop, 
trying to fix this on your own. Stand still. Don't try to strategize or try to figure out a way out of that predicament. Let God do his thing. And thirdly, see the salvation of the Lord. Be confident that God indeed will save you. Don't dwell on the armies or struggles coming at you. Dwell on the one who is fighting for you. That's what, what Moses says in verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I love that. That idea of hold your peace is just to be quiet. Don't freak out. Don't fret. Just let the Lord do his thing. See the salvation of the Lord because he will see you through. Step out in faith. Trust the Lord. Elijah was an individual who knew the advantage of having the Lord on his side. In 2 Kings 6, the king of Syria was making war with the Israelites and sought to have Elijah captured. We read in 2 Kings 6, verse 14 and 17, Therefore, it says he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I'm sure that servant is looking around going, Elijah, I don't know who's taught you to count, but I think you are way off on that. There's more with us than there's with them. Ah, uh, ah, uh, are you seeing what's going on in front of us? And that was a problem. This servant was just simply looking at what was before him. Elijah was looking at who was uh, above him and taking care of him. And so Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. The Lord's innumerous army was fighting on their behalf. But now look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So Moses had wisely told the people, stand still. See this, the salvation of the Lord. Don't try to work this out on your own. Trust the Lord in this. But that didn't mean that they weren't to do anything. It meant that they weren't to act in their own resources to try and fix their situation. They were to look, however, at how God wanted to direct them and lead them. And now, God is stepping in. And the direction is coming. And God simply says, it's time to go forward. And, and in their mind, they're thinking, forward is not the solution. <laughs> because forward means we drowned. Forward is not the way to go. If they were thinking on their own and relying on their own resources, they would have gone a different direction. So stand still didn't mean do nothing. It means follow what the Lord is doing. Don't trust your own resources. And this didn't make any sense to them, but the word was to go forward. Chuck Smith says this, there's a time for prayer, but there's also time for action. And Moses, it's time to move. Not time to pray now, it's time to get moving. And there, are always, there always comes a time when it's time to move. We need to precede our moves with prayer. We need to have the guidance of the Lord through prayer. But there comes times when our prayers must take feet. We begin to move. And so in verse 16, we read this. But lift up your rod. God instructed Moses, lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The rod, remember, had been that instrument of bringing about the, the plagues in Egypt. And now this instrument will be used by God to bring about one of the most well-known miracles of the Bible. Now, that's a pretty big ask for Moses, right? Like this huge sea in front of him. And Moses told, lift up your rod, stretch out your hand. And I'm sure Moses is sitting here thinking, God, what are you doing here? Like, how does A plus B equal C or a divided C to say, you know, the least, like, I'm sure Moses is going, God, you're just setting me up here to look really bad. This isn't, what is this going to do? How is this going to get us through the Red Sea? And yet, Moses is realizing he needs to simply trust the Lord. 
God is at work. Moses is beginning to realize this is not about him. It's about God. It's a lesson that we struggle to comprehend, but when we do begin to understand this, life begins to take on greater purpose and joy because we begin to see that every trial now becomes an opportunity for God to gain honor in the way he works in us and through us. God is going to allow you to go through times where you are boxed in so that the only course of action is to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, to see what God is going to do in and through you. And when the world sees it, they know it's not of you. They know that person couldn't have done that himself. That's got to be the Lord God working on their behalf. It's all for his honor and glory. Verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. So here again, angel of God or angel of the Lord is his pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Every time you hear that angel of the Lord, this is a Christophany pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and he was leading them out of Egypt, that pillar cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, but now what's interesting, as he was leading them, going before them, he now goes behind them, not in leading them, but now in protecting them, and he becomes this division between the Egyptians and Israel. He's a cloud for the Egyptians so that they can't see what's going on, but he's that pillar of fire for the Israelites to be a light for them in the darkness now and to lead them through the Red Sea. Amazing this work that God is doing. Jesus does the same for us. He will cause the enemy to be in darkness, but he'll give light to his people and will lead them and protect them. So this action gave time for the Israelites now to begin to move through the Red Sea at night and provide enough distance and separation from the Egyptians. Keep in mind, this is about two to three million Israelites that are coming out of Egypt. You know, you've got young kids, you've got this millions of people. You know how hard it is just to get your family out of the house and into the minivan, how much time that takes, let alone taking two to three million people through a sea. I mean, this is pretty significant stuff that's going on here. But God's with them, taking care of them, and providing the time needed for them to do this safely. Amazing. And then Moses, it says in verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea. It uh, didn't go so well the first time. He had to take a little bit to get used to that here a little bit here. Moses' first try. You see that there? Okay. You're all like, what's he talking about here? Yeah, all right. Did it the wrong way. But stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. Verse 25, and he took off the chariot wheels, so they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So here now, as Moses, by faith, takes his rod, stretches out his hand, the Lord rolls back the waters of the Red Sea in a miraculous way. Probably the, you know, the pinnacle of miracles in the Old Testament. And the fact that the Israelites walked into the midst of the sea on dry ground, it says. That's pretty awesome. This isn't just sludging through some, some muddy, that you think waters just simply recede. You're going to have some wet muddy ground no it's dry ground that they walk on i mean this just goes beyond miraculous but then pharaoh and the egyptians they're not happy about this they pursue them into the sea and once again the lord acts on israel's behalf just as moses said in verse 14 the lord will fight for you so what does god do he loosens the lug nuts on the wheels of the chariots they all come off now so they're dragging these machines through the ground they're not able to get any traction and, and be able to roll along it slows them down and it was done in such a way it was done in such a way that how did the egyptians respond this is the lord 
The Lord, verse 25, the Lord fights for them. They knew this wasn't just some kind of weird coincidence. Oh, a couple of chariots lost a wheel. Everybody's wheels came off. The wheels truly were falling off in the plans of Pharaoh here. Because God is fighting on behalf of Israel. God is taking care of them. Now, that's exactly what God had in mind to reveal to this nation of Egypt that the Lord, God, Yahweh, is the one true God. Now, notice something. Israel had a really large obstacle in front of them, right? The Red Sea. The thing, what are we going to do? God didn't remove the Red Sea. He brought them through the Red Sea. He led them through it safely. God oftentimes does the same for us. Because we so often, I think, pray, Lord, please remove this obstacle. Remove this difficulty. Remove this circumstance from before me. And yet, what does God often do? Well, he could remove it, but he oftentimes doesn't. Rather, he chooses to lead us through it. He chooses to lead us through it so that we learn to walk by faith, trusting him. Not having just clear sailing, but sometimes in the midst of the storm, knowing that God is sufficient and God is enough to take care of us and lead us through. That requires faith and trust. But it's an amazing experience to see God at work in our situations. Think about these huge water walls, right? that the Israelites were walking through on dry ground, seeing these, these walls of water. They're going, oh my goodness. God, this is amazing. Wow. It, it just revealed the greatness and the strength of God. God could just put a big bridge right over that sea. He could have removed the sea, but he leads them right through it, in it, to see God at work all the more. They had to trust that these were these walls of water were going to hold on long enough for them to get through. Every step was, God, be with me. God, help me. Oh, boy, God, keep those walls up there. Keep that water held back. Every step, they're having to trust the Lord to see them through. But what a rush to see God do exactly that. Isn't it a great time of, of learning, growing, and maturing as we go through situations that we would otherwise want to see removed out of our lives, but to have to go through them in and through God's strength and to see and provide and lead us and take care of us through it all and to bring us safely through to the other side. Aren't those times where our lives just get all the more enriched in seeing God at work in us? That's what God desires to do. May we not always pray, Lord, get me out of this, but rather, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to learn and how to grow in this situation through this circumstance. Well, it says in verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses." You see that? The, the children of Israel come through and they saw the great work of the Lord. And their faith, no doubt, just intensified and grew. It's a great work, a great miracle. Now, there are those that try to discredit this incredible miracle of the Red Sea. Lots of great, you know, arguments have been made. Some say, well, this isn't even recorded in Egyptian history. So we don't really believe it happened. But you know, Egyptians would never have recorded their defeats. They don't want to, they're going to try to hide this. They're like, I don't want anybody to know what happened to us when we faced Yahweh, God of Israel. Not recorded in history, that's not a 
not a big deal. Some say this was more or less just a natural occurrence that as the winds began to blow and the changing tides, well, then you could just kind of cross in shallow water. But that doesn't explain how the Bible says that there was a wall of water on both sides of them. Some say that there's an area of the Red Sea that's very shallow and marshy. In fact, they call it the Reed Sea because of that condition. Just a bunch of reeds. It's very marshy. And it's an area that you can just kind of walk through, you know, knee-deep water. It really required no miracle for the Israelites to cross through. Well, now listen. You can give them that. You can, you can have that argument. But then you've got to explain to me how the Egyptians all drown in knee-deep water. That's a miracle right there. Either way, you've got a miracle. Explain that to me. There's lots of people that try to discredit and explain away what God actually did. But the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. And it's dependable. And we can take the word of God at face value and believe exactly what it says. Well, the chapter ends with the people now fearing the Lord, it says, and believing the Lord and Moses. We must Never let our happy times dictate our faith in the Lord. Because it needs to rather be a simple stance in doctrine, knowing that the Lord is faithful, that he will deliver us, that he will provide for us, that he is a good God. And our faith needs to be in simply who God says he is, rather than what our experiences are telling us. It needs to be our belief in any circumstance. We're going to see in the next chapters that the Israelites will quickly change their tune when things begin to get tight again but when we go through stretching times we're still serving the same god the same god who delivered the people out of egypt in the passover who led them through the red sea miraculously the same god we need to walk by faith trust the lord because the lord is constant in those times we never need to doubt him well chapter 15 Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Here we have now the first worship song in the Bible. It's right here in Exodus 15. First worship song in the Bible. It's one that many songs in the Bible will be patterned after. This song is all about the deliverance of God. The very deliverance that this nation of Israel has firsthand experience of. It's not a song being written over the fleeting emotion of a moment. It's a song that speaks of the work that God has completed. The last song we see in the Bible, Revelation chapter 15, is also a song of deliverance. We always, guys, have a reason to sing regardless of your circumstances because of all that God has already done for you. We are people that have been given new life in Christ. We are new creations. We have been delivered from sin, from death, from the devil. We have life in Christ. We've been delivered. We have a song always to sing when we reflect on all that God has done for us. Now notice the key principle of worship. It's all for the Lord and to the Lord. It, it says right there in verse one, I will sing to the Lord. That's the object of our devotion and praise. Worship is not unto man or it's not for ourselves. So much of worship today has become so self-centered, <laughs> all about feeling and, and emotion. There's nothing wrong with having emotion in worship as long as it's directed to the Lord and for the Lord. That's where worship is given to. He's the one worthy of it all. He's our audience in worship. The Lord is mentioned some 45 times in this chapter and in this, in this song, I should say. He's the focus, the centerpiece of this song. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. When we realize that we are insufficient in ourselves and the Lord alone is our strength, then guess what? He's going to be our song. I've got nothing in myself. Lord, you're the one that strengthens me. You're the one that I have life in. God, you're my song. You're the reason why I sing and rejoice. Our strength will disappoint and fail us, but his strength never will. It says in verse 3, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his 
army is cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Many will read a passage like this, and they, they conclude that, that God is just this angry God looking to punish people. Oh, he's this, this violent kind of God, just a man of war, it says. And yet, we have to recognize that evil is never good. And what we see is God simply bringing an end to that which is evil. And that is a good thing. God isn't a complacent God. He's not inactive. The Lord is a man of war. Sadly, the world questions God's existence because of evil in the world, yet when evil is punished, they blame God for being too harsh. And you can't have it both ways. God's a just God. He's a God of justice. And sin, evil, needs to be dealt with. And I'm thankful that God takes care of that. It says in verse 6, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath to consume them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Notice what the enemy is saying. Oh, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to overtake. I'm going to divide the spoil. The enemy loves to come and threaten and try to cause panic in your life, fear in your life. But we need to focus on God's power rather than the enemy's plotting. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Whatever the enemy tries to throw at you, just know that, there, that that is nothing to the Lord. God is more than able. Trust the Lord. Depend on him. And your worries and fears will quickly sink away. Just like happened with the Egyptians. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Remember Pharaoh had earlier asked in chapter 5, verse 2, who is the Lord? Well, Israel knew full well, and they sang, who is like you, O Lord? That's the better question. Who is like you, Lord? There, there is nobody like you, Lord. There's none greater. There's none more awesome, more powerful. You alone are God. And then it says in verse 14, the people will hear and be afraid. You know, that's exactly what Rahab in Jericho had made mention of. It says in Joshua 2, verse 9 to 11, that Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's exactly what is being said here in verses 14. Look at verse 16. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. And, and word began to spread quickly. Before they've even made it into the promised land, word's gotten into Tereb when they're spying out the land. And they're realizing, oh my goodness, you got God on your side. And now Rahab's saying, terror of you has fallen on us because of what God has done for you. Bringing you to the Red Sea. This is exactly what they're saying about that. That because of this act, because of what God's done, hearts are going to melt away. 
people are going to see the greatness and know that he alone is God. And I love what, what it says there, that you have led them through and, and brought them in. Verse 17, you'll bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. You know, God doesn't just save us to bring us out of something. He saves us to bring us into something. And that is fullness of life in him. He wants to bring them into the promise on that, that speaks of this abundant life, that spirit-filled life to where there's the land flowing with milk and honey, where there's fruitfulness. You know, a lot of Christians have been delivered. Thank the Lord for that. They've been forgiven of sin, but they failed to walk into the fullness of life that God has for them. Are we living like those, those two and a half tribes that came short of the promised land that said, you know what, we're going to rather settle out here on the other side of the Jordan. Or are we willing to go in all the way and say, God, I want all that you've got for me. You haven't saved me just to bring me out. You saved me to bring me in to the fullness of that which you have for me. May we walk in that abundant life that Jesus has for us. May we continue to be filled daily with his spirit, overflowing in his spirit that brings about that fruitfulness that God has for us. Verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Nothing is going to stop God from being God. So we can and should praise him always. Why? Because his reign is forever and ever. The Lord shall reign forever and ever, it says in verse 18. God continues on. May our praise of God continue on forever and ever and then in verse 20 notice this then mary and the prophetess the sister of aaron took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances and miriam answered them sing to the lord for he's triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he's thrown into the sea so miriam now moses's sister comes along and begins to lead other ladies in song and they put together a little choreographed dance now they're they're like putting a whole number to this song that's being sung notice miriam is repeating exactly what Moses said in verse 1. That's apparently all that she kind of paid attention to. That's the only stanza she gives. She doesn't sing anymore in the song. She's like, Moses, I wasn't really paying attention. Sorry, but I got that first part down. So they got that worked on. But it's important that, that men lead in spiritual matters because here the women come along and they're singing exactly what Moses has been leading the people in. It's important that men lead in spiritual matters. A family needs a spiritual father, a spiritual husband to set the example in this way. Those aren't popular things to say these days. When everybody wants to, you know, knock down the patriarchy or the, the, the man in, in having a role of leadership, people want to knock that down. But that's a biblical, uh, a, a biblical example that's been set for us. Not that they're greater or better, but they're to lead the way in things spiritual. And homes need to have a spiritual father, spiritual husband there. Now, it's great that this nation turned to singing and rejoicing in God when they came through the Red Sea. But it would have been an even more amazing thing if they'd begun to sing when they were on the other side of the Red Sea. See, if we can learn to be worshipers in any situation that we find ourselves in, we're going to be experiencing greater joy in the midst of life's challenges. Don't wait for perfect circumstances to worship. Worship, and you're going to find your circumstances improving. Think about Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16. When I was thrown in jail, what did they do? They just began to sing. And what happened? As they began to sing, their prison doors, an earthquake hits, and their prison doors just fly open. Their circumstances began to improve greatly. After they began to sing. Begin to sing and worship the Lord regardless of your situation. Don't wait for perfect circumstances or conditions. Begin to live as a worshiper of the Lord in any condition, circumstance. And you'll see those things around you greatly changing and improving. So verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. 
Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Uh, so it begins. Three days is all it took. And the complaining begins. It's sad. They just finished a great worship service. Just finished rejoicing in all that God has already done in such an, uh, an incredible, miraculous way. Now over the slightest little bit of this water you brought us to is bitter. What are we going to drink? They begin to quickly complain. Now God led them through this bitter time to really reveal what was in their hearts. The very name Mara means bitter. And they're realizing there's still bitterness in us. We too are going to go through bitter times. Sickness, heartache, death. But those things are meant to reveal to us what's inside. Because we can either respond with grumbling or with grace. We live in a fallen world where disappointment is inevitable. But how are we going to respond in those times? Notice what Moses was instructed to do. Verse 25. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed my voice or the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in the sight, in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What's Moses instructed to do? Take a tree and throw it in the waters. And what happened when he did? Those waters became sweet. It's a great picture of the work of the cross. You see, Jesus came to the cross to redeem that which was lost, that which was corrupt. We can act a lot like these Israelites. We rejoice and sing when everything's going smoothly, but complain and grumble when things don't go so smoothly. That's why we need to take everything to the cross and realize, I don't deserve anything but death ultimately. My life should be one that's very bitter because of sin. But Jesus took my place. He paid the penalty for my sin that I might have life. What right do I have now to complain? He's paid the price. My life is not mine. And when we look to the cross, we begin to see that no matter what we're going through, things can be very sweet again. Now, if life were sweet all the time, we would have no desire for the Lord in heaven. Those bitter experiences cause us to long for things eternal. And the cross reminds us that we have that hope through him. When bitterness comes, don't grumble and complain. Take it to the Lord. Look to the cross and to what God has done through his son Jesus for you upon that cross. God says, I'm the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha is his name there. The Lord has healed us incredibly from sin, from death. He's taken that sting of death, that very bitter pill. He's taken for himself so that we could ultimately be spared from it. Understand that the Lord has healed you. He's given you life. Delivered you from sin, from death, to where we can walk now in that sweetness of life that he secured for us because of the cross through his death and resurrection. This chapter ends in verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. See, God is so good. After the bitter experiences life can throw at us, what does he do? He brings them to times of refreshing. This place here, Elam, was like an oasis. Wells of water and palm trees. That's what Elam means, is, is palms, this place of an oasis. Ever been to a, an oasis-like place before? You just sit back and you soak it in. You're just like, oh, God, you're good. I'm reminded of Cow Chapel Bible College in Marietta, just it was an oasis there. We loved it. Palm trees, hot tubs, found just beautiful. And we every time we'd go there, we're just like, oh, this is good. God, you're just refreshing us. But God wants us to experience those times of refreshing and revitalization. And it comes when we wait upon Him. 
Take time to relax in the Lord. Take time to rest in the Lord. Allow God to begin to minister in you and through you. Give you those times of refreshing because that's what he has for you. And we take time to seek him and rest in him. Well, Israel is learning that. We're going to continue on looking at some of their camping stops next time. Chapter 16, another wonderful chapter as we look at. Man of the bread from heaven that God supplies. It's uh, another great lesson for us. And that's um, in a couple of weeks. And that's going to be our last Wednesday. Sorry, our last teaching Wednesday uh, of the summer. We're going to have a, a night of worship and um, worship and prayer at the end of June. And then July and August, we're going to be taking a break from our Wednesdays. We're going to have a couple special things happening. Church in the park on, on a couple Wednesdays. Um, details will be coming. So... Um, but we'll wrap up chapter 16 in a couple weeks. And then we're going to take a break and have a time of refreshing through July and August. All right? So, um, worship team, come on up. Um, yeah, just interesting to see these different stops. Pihahiroth, opportunity to complain, be bitter, melt off a little bit, or a time to trust the Lord and see what he's going to do. He brings him to the Red Sea, brings him another time of, of another place, Mara, where they need to recognize what God's provided for them. God's provided healing for them through the cross, ultimately. And then times of refreshing in Elam, resting in the Lord. How needed that is. May we be those that learn these lessons that Israel is learning themselves. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather and just to seek you and hear from you in your word. And God, what a great work you did leading your people through the Red Sea. What an incredible miracle it is. It's, it stands out in the Old Testament as, as that reminder always of that power and greatness of God. And yet, we're thankful that we worship today that same God. Is every bit as powerful. And you work on our behalf Lord, you are there with us to lead us through whatever challenges might come before us. May we never look at what's in front of us with fear or worry. But like Moses said, may we not be afraid. May we stand still and simply see the salvation of the Lord at work. As you lead us through, as you work in our lives, Lord, may we be those that walk by faith, trusting you every step of the way. And seeing you provide and guide us as only you can. May we live these lives completely at your disposal to say, God, whatever goes on in my life, may it all be done simply for your glory and praise that you might be made known all the more. That's why we exist, God. So may we live for that purpose in mind. We pray in your name. Amen.